but really where I want to start is that I initially did not want to go to college. Um, wasn't interested. I didn't think that was going to be the best path forward for me on my career. And so as the first semester after high school graduation happens, I'm sitting at home, don't have a lot going on, so I'm trying to sell stuff, make money through classified ads on there as well. And he pulls up my driveway, gets out, hitches his pants, spits his dip, runs over, you know, the tires, pats them, rolls them over, and is like, yeah, dude, these, these are good truck tires. I'll take these tires. And then he yells, ma, come put these tires in the back of the truck. <laughs> and as the woman's getting out of the truck, um, I'm like, no, it's all right, sir, I'll do it for you. So I put the tires in the back of the truck, and I watch them drive off, and I have this voice tell me, Lee, don't go to college. You'll be living in this neighborhood. It's an idea that I've given you the ability and the resources to use. Don't waste them. And pretty soon after I got enrolled, and it did take me nine years to finish my degrees in theology and history and my philosophy minor, but uh, I was right. I don't actually do that as my career, um, but the opportunity to learn, expand my mind uh, has been you know, one of the biggest blessings that I've done by, by finishing school. Uh, one of the things I have said about my education, though, is the problem with philosophy is those who know it think too much of it, and those who don't may not think at all. And the idea there is that uh, you can get kind of caught up into thinking. But what I want to do in this presentation is at least give us something where I can break it down and maybe have something we can take away with it too. So one of the things I've also learned a little bit about is brain development and structure. Now, where I work right now at Black Hill Surgical Hospital, there are literal brain surgeons that are there, which is not something you want me to do for you. But when we talk about the brain uh, in general, there's a few parts of it which I find pretty fascinating. So first of all, when you're doing an activity repeatedly, there will be a cluster and a neuron pathway that forms, which helps you continue to do that activity well. Uh, it's one of the things I see with my son right now. Uh, he's a little five-month-old. I see him pick himself up, try to roll, try to crawl. Uh, he's not doing it consistently, but his brain is building these connections in this repeated pattern, which will help him, and which is also why I do need to start baby-proofing the house. Uh, and eventually, he will get there but it's, that's what our brain does is it builds these patterns which help us do things where we don't think about them anymore I mean most of us can probably handle the walking and chewing gum it's just something that we have where over the repeated time our brain built this pattern for us another thing our brain does is it builds up these pleasure receiving clusters. Uh, one of the things that if you do an activity where you feel good about it, you've made a positive connection with a person, that your brain will form this neuron cluster and give you a pleasure response. It's a chemical dopamine gets released and you feel good about that. It's one of the things that gives us motivation to continue to do those activities. But that's also where addictions form. Uh, and we get sometimes so focused on just getting that next dopamine hit. And then one of the last parts of the brain I'd talk about is there is a part called the prefrontal cortex. Now this is really acts like a switch between your 
uh, emotional response and a rational response. It doesn't even get fully developed in people until about their late teens, early 20s, which does kind of say a lot about what young people's decision-making ability is. Um, but with that cortex, uh, it was really kind of interesting. I saw this one book uh, while well, I was listening on an audiobook. Uh, can't say I read it. But in that book, there's a story um, about this highly successful young woman. She's in an Ivy League school, getting straight A's. The next semester, she's dropped out, addicted to drugs, living on the street. Now, because of that addiction, being in poor health, she gets hospitalized. They run a brain scan. And in the brain scan, they find this tumor growing on the prefrontal cortex, which had basically shut off her ability to be rational. And you just think that we have this physical component of our minds, which different for every person, grows uh, in different ways. We build these pathways, these clusters, you know, to do things. But beyond a physical brain, we have a mind. We have a soul. I mean, this is what gives us, our brain does our physical functions for us and has these things put in place. This mind and soul allows us a connection, actually, to our bodies. We can think about thinking, to a spiritual connection, to our spiritual God. Now, with uh, one of the things, again, with philosophy, you learn you know, about some of the key figures in there. And so, Socrates being one, and I've always liked this phrase from him, which is, the unexamined life is not worth living. And then you have King Solomon who said, everything is meaningless, and the greater wisdom brings greater sorrow. So I think we should probably end up somewhere in the middle of those two statements with it. Uh, and one of the things I'd say about it is that thinking provides value to life, but not without consequence. And I do think for us often, we try to find the path of least resistance when it comes to using our mind. Uh, we'll find a mental complacency in life. Now, in the advertising blurb that we had about this, you know, in the bulletin and such, I talked about the nothing box. And really why this is kind of coined as it is oftentimes we can be at ease and peace. And if you have a wife or sometimes when women will ask, what are you thinking about? That's our response. Nothing. Um, and I saw this illustration within this book titled, Men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti. And if you look at a waffle, what you see is a lot of different little boxes. And within those boxes, um, that is really where our focused amount of thinking is. We would want to deal with one subject at a time. On a plate of spaghetti, you can't tell where one strand starts and where one noodle stops. I mean, it is all connected. Women are far more adept to having multiple thoughts all at the same time. The example that they give uh, is there was a guy talking with his friend. And they were talking about Corvettes that they owned. And his wife walks up to him and says, Oh, hey, doesn't Tom have a Corvette? No, he has a Camaro. Oh, well, we haven't had his wife, him and his wife over for dinner in a long time. We should do that again. Oh, also, we need to make sure we have enough food. Will you go grocery shopping and then get some milk? So here's where the guy was. In a friend box, Corvette box, and then now all of a sudden, Camaro box, Tom box, shopping box, milk box, all faster than that Corvette goes there to 60. I mean, the preferred state that we have is to be focused on a subject. 
We don't like the additional distractions around us. Uh, we don't like to have to entertain multiple thoughts at the same time. I don't say we can't handle it, it's just our preferred state. It's our preferred way of dealing with things. And so, um, as we go from that preferred state, I really think of oftentimes what is the highly focused subject that we look at. I think oftentimes it can be work, it can be our hobbies, it can be sports, it can be entertainment. I mean, we can be focused on this one subject, but is that subject of a great importance? Is that thing that we are letting ourselves get so focused on matter? Are there better possible things that we can be thinking about? Now, where I'm not trying to bring up conviction or con, you know, condemnation with this, but what I would admit for myself is that I do have guilt and shame about how I've let my mind into sin. You know, there are times in my life, and I'm sure everyone relates to this, where we have had the very two clear choices. We can go and do an action that brings separation between us and God. It's sinful. Or we hold steadfast turn to Jesus and live life the way God has intended us to do. I mean, wrestling between these two choices is a very constant thing that we deal with in this life. And I do think to prevent the wrong choice, to prevent sinning, what happens? We don't recognize the moments behind the moment. I don't find sin to be something that's just one large action catching us by surprise. Really, it starts more subtle. And in, Pastor Mitch brought this up in a couple sermons ago. We hear about how the devil tries to come after us. He's a roaring lion you know, prowling around seeking who he can devour. His purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But it's not so much direct and out. Now, if anybody's encountered the screw tape letters from C.S. Lewis, I, I think it captures this spiritual hidden world pretty well with it. I mean, essentially you have this senior level demon writing down to his junior level demon talking about, here's how you influence that person to keep him distracted, to keep him walking the path to hell. But it's to never let, and they always call it the patient, know that you're the one doing this. Let the patient think these are his own thoughts. And that is one of the things that we have in our mind. We have an enemy who is working against us in our mind. We also have parts of us that are our flesh. Um, I look at my you know, son, and I know he's not here yet, but if anyone ever worked with a toddler where you are telling them no, and you can see it process in their brain, I'm hearing no, but I'm going to do it anyways. It's a willful decision. And I know that is also where I have been with what my actions are. There's willful decisions that we make. But that's when we let our minds be filled with temptations, this willful desire that we have. Really what we need to do is recognize um, where God has desired for us to be and what we can do with our thinking that directs us to Him. And the Bible gives us these instructions. So I think we'd start with what Jesus says. 
Uh, Mark 12, which is a little spoiler, so we're going to get there, you know, in our Mark series. But with Mark 12, when he's asked, uh, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus replies, the Lord our God is one and only Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. In Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all according to that's written in it. And then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. And in Psalm 25.8-15, The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness all who keep his covenant and obey his demands. For the honor of your name, O Lord, forgive my many, many sins. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. They will live in prosperity. Their children will inherit the land. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. My eyes are always on the Lord, for he rescues me from the traps of my enemy. I mean, we look at the verbs in those verses. And what it's talking about is actions. Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Keep your eyes focused. These aren't going to be literal things that we're doing um, with it. I mean, maybe you have a tasty Bible. But what we're doing here is as a metaphor, as an illustration of where our mind dwells. Where we take our minds and what are the things we're putting in our minds. I like this quote. The Bible is a book that reads you. Now, when we approach the Bible... Is it a rushed obligation if we try to sit down and read it? You know, are we having moments at all where we read it? And then do we have moments in our days where we go about that we actually take time to think about it? That we have these words coming to mind? I mean, having God's words so ingrained, we can't help but to have verses spring forth when we need them most. I mean, I said earlier, thinking provides value but not without consequence. And I think what it would be like to hear your four daughters had drowned in a shipwreck, and then you write the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. I think about a question that I've heard from a hip-hop song, which is, have you ever looked into the eyes of the disabled and wondered why you are abled? How come I've been given a healthy life like this? Or are you too selfish to even notice that it is a gift? I also think about lines from Johnny Cash's Satisfied Mind song. You know, I've listened to that song on repeat for whole days at a time, where it comes in. Which is, once I was winning in fortune and fame, everything that I dreamed for to get a start in life's game, then suddenly it happened. I lost every dime, but I'm richer by far with a satisfied mind. So I choose to have things in my mind that draw me to God. My wife and I named our son Isaiah, and that's because the book of Isaiah points to Jesus. And it's also filled with tons of verses in it, and for us particularly, Isaiah 
You will keep him in perfect peace because his mind is steadfast, because he trusts in you. And it's a pretty amazing consequence God gives us. When we think about him, we get peace. I mean, to the fullest level, we can understand, we can think, we can focus on him. We have peace despite our circumstances. Tragedies occur when life happens to us in ways we can't process. Or when we have joys, when we want to celebrate. Our mind is the channel we use to communicate with God. And that's what he's asking for. All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our mind. So I think of really no better way, you know, to encourage us from here is than with Paul's last words to the Philippians. In chapter 4, 7 through 8, he says, Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So towards the end of his talks, uh, Francis Schaeffer, the theologian, and then there's a book by the same title, would ask a question which is, how should we then live? Is there something we can immediately do after hearing a message? How long do we inter, you know, and how long are we able to retain the inspiration or a content of a message that's being said? So, what I hope that this did was inspire us to be using our minds to take that time to think about God, to learn His Word, um, to convince us that our thoughts play an important role in our character and how we conduct our lives. One of the ways to ensure that we can follow through on that would be to set a goal. Now, goals are frequently not met for a variety of reasons, but there are a few studies on what make goals successful. So I'll give us three common keys to that right now, which is one, write it down. Studies will show that it's almost 50% more likely to be accomplished if you've written down a goal. Our brains make these extra connections when we do it. It actually encodes the information as important through the physical act. Gives us the ability to re, well, the likelihood of increasing it, you know, that we'll remember it. A second would be share it with another person. When you do this, it adds an accountability factor. It also gives you the increased desire to achieve your goal. And then the motivation changes from internal to external. The other person can help you with the goal. The third would be review it. Unless the goal can be accomplished in one step, some amount of time is going to pass between you set the goal and when you're able to accomplish it. If you make an intentional time to review goals in life, compare progress, recapture the motivation, the study's fine. No matter the goal, is almost guaranteed to be achieved. So I do want to give us one opportunity to immediately do something. I've actually given note cards on the table and I'd say before we leave let's take a moment see if we write down a goal on how we want to use our minds to connect with God thanks